welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And Lance Storm returns to Talk is Jericho. He's one of the best coaches and agents in the wrestling business. And he's offering an amazing training opportunity to anybody looking to up their game in the ring. His coaching and training sessions are incredible. And he's going to demonstrate today with me. He's breaking down a match I had with Juventud Guerrera uh, back in 1998 Super Bowl at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. This was the title versus mask match. One of my all-time favorites in WCW. So Lance watched it first without me. He took copious notes. And now we're watching it together so we can do a detailed breakdown of my in-ring performance. He'll point out things I did well, along with the things I could have done differently or better for more impact. So if you want to book a session with Lance, this is so valuable, you can email him at swavirtualtraining at gmail.com. That's swavirtualtraining at gmail.com. Plus, Lance is talking also about his recent departure from WWE, where he had just recently started as a coach and agent and how and why that all happened. He also talks about working with Kurt Angle back in the day and explains why his match against Terry Funk for the U.S. title remains his favorite match to this day. So it's Jericho versus Hoovy as analyzed by Lance coming up. But first, so is the Fozzie Save the World Tour. We're kicking things off September 2nd in Columbus, Ohio at the Newport Music Hall. Uh, September 3rd, Joliet, Illinois at the Forge. Uh, September 4th, Belvedere at the Apollo Theater. And keep in mind, if you're going to be an all-out uh, in Chicago on September 5th, that Joliet is one hour from Chicago and Belvedere is about an hour and a half away. So if you want to come rock with Fozzie on Friday and Saturday and you're going to be in town looking for something to do, we will be there rocking for you. We also got Kansasville on September 6th. And we got so many shows coming up, so go to FozzieRock.com to check on the tickets. Don't forget Pittsburgh, Flint, Cleveland, Johnson City, all sold out. And also, most of the VIPs are sold out. There's only about seven cities that have VIPs left. So go to FozzieRock.com now. Check out what's available for the Save the World Tour with Through Fire, Royal Bliss. And don't forget, we're also going to Manchester and uh, Birmingham, Wales, London, Dublin, Glasgow, Newcastle, etc., etc. UK, we're returning once again uh, November 30th. So go to FozzieRock.com and check those out as well. Get your tickets and VIP now once again at FozzieRock.com. All right, here we go. Lance Storm in coaching action as he breaks down Jericho versus Hoovy, title versus mask, the classic from Super Bowl in 1998. So one of the uh, the, the coolest things about the pandemic, maybe the only coolest thing is people getting creative to stay busy, to uh, create some revenue. And I thought uh, Lance Storm joins us again. And one of the, the smarter ideas being uh, critically acclaimed as a coach is doing your virtual online coaching sessions. So how did you come up with this idea? Arda O'Cal was actually the, the guy that suggested doing something like this. Um, and I sort of talked to him about it and thought about it. And I was like, I suppose I could give it a go. It's, it's one of the nice things about, uh, virtual stuff is there's not a lot of startup investments, so you can right. give it a go. And I, I put the option out there and it was something that I'd actually been doing for the first, I guess, 90 days. Cause I was given 90 days notice when I was, you know, let go by WWE. I wanted to contribute while I was still getting paid. So I reached out to, you know, just via Twitter to anyone in WWE, UK, NXT, anyone that's under contract. If you would like some coaching and some advice and some feedback, I'm game. Reach out to me. And, you know, maybe a dozen did. So I was doing it just sort of wanting to earn the paycheck that I'm still being sent. And then afterwards I stopped and Arda was the one that mentioned it. And I'm like, crap, I could actually give this a go. <laughs> 
So I uh, talked to a few people sort of trying to get an idea on what I thought would be a fair and reasonable price for the workload involved and, and put it out there. And it, it took a little while for it to start, you know, getting some traction and having people, you know, hear about it, and know about it. But it started getting more and more traction and has turned into a, a pretty decent size side gig as far as, you know, a, a, a revenue source. And keeps me busy and allows me to keep my brain moving and feel like I'm still contributing to the business as well as contributing to the household income. And just quickly, because people want to know, were you, were you let go by WWE specifically because of the fact you live in Canada, do you feel? Um, I think I was part of the group that when they, I think for the most part, almost let go of all of the producers that weren't based in Florida and could still work. Right, right, right. You know, there was 10 or 12, you know, I think 10 of us that all got lot, let go at the same time. But the fact that there was no possible way for me to come to work, like I had actually told them I couldn't cross the border, you know, before they told everybody to stay home. And uh, I, I think that was just sort of the way it was that the guys based in Florida could still show up and, and run the shows at the PC. There's no way, you know, Lance is going to be getting back in the country right, anytime right, right. soon. So um, although I was happy and I have no idea why, but the vast majority of them got emails. I actually got a phone call. So I kind of felt special because there was a, uh, you know, the big town hall virtual thing that we were all told we can tune into. And, you know, Vince you know, said that, you know, cost cutting and, and everything with right. the pandemic that many of you will be receiving an email shortly after this call. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I never got one. And it was the next day I got a phone call uh, from Johnny, which I appreciated him actually doing it, you know, in person, so to speak, um, with a phone call, just that uh, I'm one of the ones getting cut. And because my contract was a little different because of the visa requirements to bring me in from another country, I've luckily had the 90 days clause of getting 90 days notice. So I got paid for another three months, which was a bonus. So uh, that was kind of nice. But yeah, again, certainly no hard feelings. It's like, you know, stuff happens. Well, and like you said, you've been really smart in being able to, to start this uh, the online coaching. So just explain kind of and this is really fun. We'll get into. We're gonna. We're, you're gonna actually analyze one of my earlier matches, but just um, kind of explain what it is that you do for for the people that sign up for this, you know, amazing service. I guess experience. A lot of it is sort of what you know the producer does. You know, to talent after the match. It's like watching the match back and. I offer, or at least I'm open to offering any kind of coaching people can think of, but the one we're doing the most and the one we'll do today is match breakdown and feedback. And the person will send me a match of theirs and I will watch it, you know, and go over it, you know, sometimes watch it a couple of times and make notes on sometimes it's things they're doing wrong. Sometimes it's ways in which they could do things better. And, and sometimes I just sort of point out my opinion that, you know, this is what I think could have probably worked here and then we'll discuss why they did it their way and see which you know perhaps would work best but it's you know analyzing the psychology and the presentation of wrestling that i think sadly at the indie level is really missing in that there's a lot of guys at the same level wrestling guys at the same level right and it doesn't get that additional perspective and that's something that you know you and i i both know had that when you're breaking in and you wrestle that guy that's you know 
got an extra five years experience. You hit that Jerry Morrow, you hit your Negro Casas, you hit your David Finley. And you see the business from a different side and puzzle pieces fall into place. So that's what I'm trying to do from the coaching aspect is I can look at your work. I can use my best judgment on how I think it could be presented different and try to open people's eyes to different aspects of the business to enable them to step up their game, so to speak. But you're right, though. I mean, it's one of those things, um, I think, because everybody's getting signed signed up now. You know, we were thinking the other day of like, well, who's out there in the in, in the indies, so to speak, to do something that we had an idea for? And I'm like, I don't really know because everyone gets signed so quickly. So those kind of formative years of, of going out to find the the experiences and, and the kind of those lessons, like you said, I mean, you went to Lebanon or you went to Germany or we went to Japan and at a very young age, but still you're learning from some of those guys that have been around longer. And that's kind of not the case in this day and age, I find. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I'm really noticing from this is, and I think it's a shame, but there is a sameness to the business worldwide that wasn't there mm-hmm. when we broke in that did a, a session with a woman from Portugal. One of the Jericho Award winners, right? Yes. Uh, one of the Jericho Award winners. And it's like, she's you can tell she's pinching the same spots that the guy that I did one from West Virginia was pinching spots from. And it's the internet and the easy access mm. where, and I, I even mentioned this to her, and it's like, that was the thing that I found so interesting when we broke in is like, you know, we trained together. We learned the same level. We worked with the same guys. And it's like, you went to Mexico and then I went to Europe and it's like, you found stuff in Mexico you'd never seen before. Right. And I worked with people I'd never heard of and did a different style I'd never seen before. And then, you know, two years later, we're back in a place working with each other. And it's like, I get to see the new flavors that you learned and I get, you get to see the new flavors that I learned where now with the internet, everyone has access to Mm. seeing stuff. And that's where I, I think I'm doing the most um, being the most productive for students is that they see the, the spots, they see the ingredients, but they don't always understand why they're put together a certain way so that the bread rises, if you will. Hmm. And it's reminding people the reason behind stuff and how different ways of getting a reaction out of something. It's like, you can't just, oh, the trade spot gets a reaction. We'll just do a trade spot. It's like, okay, well, it needs to be in a certain place for it to work. Your opponents need to be of a certain style for it to work. You know, something that you would do with Negro Casas may not be something you're going to do with Haku. <laughs> and you, you have to learn that you can't just, again, unless it's Tuesday, you might not want to make tacos. It's, it's you've got to do things in a certain rhyme or reason. And it's really rewarding for me. And that's why I've always liked coaching. And again, the, the, the uh, Claudia, the girl from um, Portugal, was a prime example that you could just see her eyes open a little bit bigger and her face light up a little bit more when there was that switch clicked. And some people, they know what to do, but they don't know how to make the switch turn off in someone else's head. And there had been certain aspect of her game that many people have said it's a bit off and it's like, OK, but how do I? Why is it wrong or how is it better? And she was never told or never had it explained in a way she could understand. And when you find that and it's like, oh, okay, I see it now. And then it's funny because I think we've all been there. There's that time when all of a sudden, 
again, the trees are crystal clear. And it's like, I've been looking at this forest for a year and I've never seen that damn tree before. And, and it's just, it's finally explained in a way that, oh, okay, I get it now. It's interesting. You just hit on so many great points there. I'll try and kind of go through a few of them. And first of all, for people that don't know, the Jericho Award is uh, I gave, uh, I don't know, donated or whatever, five coaching sessions with Lance, and we decided the winners over Twitter. So it was kind of cool to see that all the people that were coming out of the woodwork to get this experience of working with with, with, with Lance. So like, like I said, I was really, really impressed with all the feedback and all the interest for it. So um, just before we continue some of the other things, I made some notes that you just said. Are you finding that there's a lot of interest in this? Because it is so unique. You can't get this type of experience really anywhere else at this point in time. Interest comes in waves. And, and that's where it's just getting word out. And, and, you know, without exception, everyone that's done it has expressed to me that they found it very valuable and would spread the word. And I think it, it's slowly spreading. Mm-hmm. But there will be, and again, I suspect after this, you know, uh, episode airs, there'll be an influx. And then obviously, too, you know, even after you mentioned the Jericho Award, there's the flood of people hoping to win one. But then you get a couple of people that say, well, I didn't win one, but I heard about it. So I want to do it. Right. That's where it's it's frustrating to me because you, you get that swamp and it's like, oh, crap, I got to, you know, watch <laughs> five, six matches this week and do seven zooms. And then you get, you know, a week where it's like, oh. No one's interested <laughs> and it's, it's frustrating, but it, it does come in waves and, it, and it, it's been picking up consistently and it's just a matter of getting the word out. And again, the, you know, the Jericho Award really helped to draw people's attention to it. And it's, it's interesting to get people from all over the place, you know what I mean? To see, you know, even just for me to get to see what a show from Portugal, what's an indie show in Portugal. Like? <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, and then you'll get someone that, you know, sends you, you know, a, a, pandemic no people show and it's like wow this is so much harder Mm -hmm. because and that's where my coaching turns into a i believe this is the way it was because when you don't have that audience it's hard to tell and when there is an audience it really helps because i can point out the okay the crowd kind of went flat here when you you obviously wanted it to come up and if you'd have done this it might have had a better chance of bringing the crowd up and then they're like oh okay but when there's silence, regardless of whether you do it right or wrong, it's like, man, that's that's so tough. I, I said this on the Broken Skull sessions when I was working with Orange Cassidy, and he he asked me like, did, did I sell that long enough? And I was like, I have no idea because it's back when we were working in front of nobody. Like, I don't know. Like, this was when like talk about working with the with the wrong guy that is great in front of a crowd was Orange Cassidy, but it's like I have no idea, man, because like you said. There's no crowd there to determine, you know, which way to go. And that's something like while we're just discussing, I, I wonder if if this pandemic and the no people matches, um, which is so funny because when we were in Japan, the uh, Ultimo Dragon used to call small crowds, no people match. How's the crowd? No people match tonight because there's, you know, 50 farmers out there in a venue. Well, that was also the the joke name for the wing promotion was no people wing. <laughs> because they'd put on shows with almost no crowds, but they still get the photos in the magazines. And it was, oh, no people wing. Do you think that's going to affect the business going forward? Uh, the fact that we had this basically, I don't know, year and a half, 18 month stretch of not working in front of 
live crowds. Like even because and before I answer, even for me, like having a crowd back the first time was really strange. Like, like and this is what I do, but just having people there and, and like hearing the reactions and all that stuff, it was like a little bit like, oh wow, this is the way it's supposed to be. Do you think it's going to affect the business at all in the long term? I think it'll take everyone a, a, a time to adjust. And I think those who had more experience before the pandemic will, will will adjust back faster. But I would imagine, because even just me wrestling in my, you know, my empty school when I had students, you tend to wrestle faster right. when there's no people because those moments where the crowd reacts and you pause, they feel natural because the crowd's going crazy. You're soaking it in. You're feeling it. But when there's nothing to feel, you just go, God, I'm just sitting here like an idiot. I got to I got to keep moving. So I think everyone who's had to work the, the no people shows, the empty buildings or real minimum buildings, you tend to ignore that aspect because it's not there and you work faster. And it's going to probably take people a while and someone, you know, reminding everybody, it's like, hey, don't forget, there's actually people there. Listen to them. Yeah. And making that adjustment. And, and even, you know. You know, well, well, with Dynamite, where there's, you know, there's there's generally people there, but they're not, you know, they're part of the crew or they're other wrestlers. It's like they're a very favorable, forgiving crowd because they're on your team. Right. And when they're paying customers, they well, again, I'd like to think right away they will be, but eventually they won't necessarily be on your team. And then you have to really earn it and work for it. And it's going to be an adjustment when we hopefully in the not too distant near future get some people back in seats so we can do the job the way it's supposed to be with crowds reacting to it. You, you made a great point earlier talking about how, um, you know, people can kind of get high spots just from watching online. And, and, you know, back in the day, like you said, like if we had a tour in Portugal or a show in Portugal, you would go there and see, wow, it's a little bit different there. You know, I remember going to Germany and some guy would come in from Switzerland and he would have a little bit of a different style than the guy did from, you know, from England or Germany or it's Italy or whatever. One thing that was always cool about Calgary, even just going there and Stampede Wrestling was the king of this, but they had so many different styles there in Stampede with the English style and they had some Mexican, they had the Japanese and the Canadian style. And we were kind of almost trained that way where it wasn't just in one specific format. There was a lot of different little variants that came just because we came from from the Calgary territory. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why, and I never thought about it until you pointed it out. One of the reasons that I always sort of laugh or I'm dismissive when people talk about, you know, the WWE style or this style. And I'm like, if you know how to work, it's like there isn't a specific style. It's like you can just to me, it's just cooking is the style. And it's like, hey, bring whatever spices you want. We can make a recipe here where there are some places, you know, WWE in particular that has a specific menu. And these are the items that are within our menu. And these are the items that you are going to cook. And it's not that it's right or wrong. They just have a very specific menu. And Stampede was very much it's like, if it tastes good, bring it. Right, 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 right. And I think the fact that I grew up in a bit of that and was very fortunate to travel early on that I learned that, hey, if I'm wrestling Dave Taylor in, in Europe, I'll do a European catch-as-catch-can style match. And if I'm, you know, working with, you know, Hayabusa in, in Japan, I'll, I'll do that. And it, it makes you, I think, more open-minded 
as well as just more versatile. And it really helps. And it's a shame, I think, that currently with the lovely access of the Internet, it's like everybody just wants to whatever's the best. I'm doing that. And I've joked and, and thankfully I haven't had to do too many of them, but I've joked actually with Don Callis that my new least favorite style of wrestling is unathletic people doing young buck spots in slow motion mm. because you know that young bucks kenny omega fast pace you know ray phoenix real fast paced stuff is really great that's what everybody loves but not everybody's ray phoenix that's right yeah and while if you can do ray phoenix spots that's freaking amazing if you're not ray phoenix yeah it's like bad lucha you know good lucha can be awesome bad lucha is just wretched well, it's, it's like that with anything. You know, I remember back, you know, 10, 15 years ago when Johnny Saint started, uh, people started discovering him. Everyone was trying to be Johnny Saint. And it'd be like, it was that one cat from Canada, Joe Legend or whatever. He's doing all these Johnny Saint spots. It's like, dude, you're not Johnny Saint. You know, you're not Negro Casas doing the Mahistral. So just don't do it, you know? And it really is. It, it's, you know, find the thing that suits you best. And what works best for you? Not everybody can be Tiger Mask, but not everybody can be Vader either. And it's it's finding who you are and then best presenting it to everyone. And that's a lot of what I'm trying to do here is I'm that third person looking at it more objectively than you can. And that's something that a lot of people have realized, too, that it's very hard to review your own stuff fairly. Right. Of course. Because one of the things I, I realized when I was doing my school is that people say, like, well, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. And I'm like, you're the only one looking at you right now. Hmm. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, the focus of the attention is currently on the opponent. We're watching him sell. It doesn't matter if you feel like you got your thumb up your butt. No one's looking at you. <laughs> but when you're reviewing your own stuff, you're just watching you for what am I doing wrong? And that's where I always use the example. It's like, does anybody know what Bubba's doing when Devon gets the table? Great point. It's like, no, because nobody gives a shit. People are watching <laughs> Devon get the damn table. That's what Pat used to say. You just lie there like a douchebag. No one's watching you anyways. His point being is that you're not on camera. No one's paying attention. You can lie there all day, and there's two idiots in the front row going, get up, Jericho, and there's 15,000 people watching You know, The Rock do whatever the hell he's doing. So that makes perfect sense. There's always that guy at the guardrail. Yeah. You're not really hurt. Get up. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll do the match breakdown of Jericho versus Hoovy, title versus mask from Super Brawl 1998 at the Cow Palace in San Francisco next. So let's go on to this. So so um, what you do is, is someone will send you a match and you take copious notes, which by the way, you sent me this thing of notes and I started reading. It's like, oh my gosh, there's like four pages of stuff here. I said, we'll just watch it while we go. So you send the notes back and then you do what we're doing now. We're going to watch it together. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I try to explain things as well as I can using analogies and stuff with my notes. And yes, I've, you know, I've typed, you know, 4,000 words for a 10 minute match so that they can then watch the match back and read the notes and try to understand everything as it's presented. And then when we do the zoom call afterwards, once they've read the notes, we schedule the one hour zoom. Then we do this and I pull the match up and we watch it back so that I don't have to discuss every minute detail that I brought up in my notes, but point out the key ones and they can ask questions. If some of the notes they didn't understand, 
And there's been a couple of occasions where they said they understood the notes after watching it back really well. And we ended up just talking about other stuff and didn't even watch the match back because they, they thought they got a good grasp on what I said. But sometimes just seeing it back while it's being explained, they can understand it. So then we, we bring up the match. And again, it's, it's you and Hoovy title versus mask from fall brawl. No, super brawl, super brawl, yeah. super brawl, 98. February 22nd, 1988. Yes. If you're a Peacock member in, in the States, it's harder to find there now, but it'll come up eventually. Let's see here. How do I? Yeah, this was at the uh, Cow Palace in San Francisco. And like you said, title versus mask. So now Lance is going to go to the actual match. And, uh, and, and once again, I have no idea how this works. I'm an actual student here. Uh, having Lance Storm analyze this match. And I chose this match because I didn't want it to be something where I was totally awful. And I didn't want it to be something fairly new, kind of just at the end of the early stages of my career. So I've been in the business for about seven and a half years at this point. And I remember I always liked this match, but I haven't watched it since it happened. So I have no idea what to expect. I'm, I'm not sure I'd ever seen it before, to be honest. Well, good. So that's perfect then. So it's a, it's, it's a, good, it's a, good, uh, a good one for you to watch too which you've already watched. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is where, again, I like to point out positives as well. And it's like, this is something a lot of people need to be aware of too. It's the look like a star, dress like a star. I believe you just recently turned heel and it's like, you got a new vest, you've got your gear and it's, you know, looking professional. Although one story I want to remember, cause you just tore up a fan sign. I know that's, you know, looked down upon now because people get too upset. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's their personal property and people have actually been sued. <laughs> really? Yes. There was a WWE house show that I went to and, and you were on it. I think it was when you had the reverse Brock Lesnar deal where you were just working house shows. Right, 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 right. And you had had your match, you know, you had not, not you were usually a baby face in that regard. So maybe you was t- uh, uh, when you were on the sh- roster. It was, it, no, it was, it was way back 2005. I happened to work two house shows because it was Calgary and Edmonton, but I was working on raw and they sent me to SmackDown. I worked with Brock. The only two times I ever worked with Brock, if that's what you're talking about. Mm, I don't remember, but you were a heel in this match and you had left their ringside area after the match, sort of all temper tantrum. Off. I, I think you had actually put the guy over. Maybe it wasn't Calgary, but it was somewhere that I was at. And there was a fan there with a sign and you grabbed it and tore it up and you just tore it up and you walk back like you did here. And the kids started crying. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed that the dad started getting really upset and he had three kids and his one kid was bawling. And I'm like, oh, crap. And I ran to the back real quick and I grabbed John Cone and I said, there's a fan out here that just had a sign ripped up and the kid's really upset. Is there anything you can do? And he's like, yeah, 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 right, great. And he ran and grabbed a quick swag bag of stuff. And went out and gave it to the dad and the dad calmed down because he was getting real irate that it was yeah. like, how dare this kid, you know, person, you know, <laughs> make my kid upset. And they got a, a, a swag bag out of it. But it's and I know um, it was back when I was training in OVW. Cornette had to yell at people because they had knocked a fan's baseball hat off by hitting the brim of the hat. And Cornette was like, do you realize in this state, it's like that can be charged as assault. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you got to be really careful now. It's sometimes I say that to, to MJF. It's like, dude, you got to be careful what you say on Twitter to these people. Like, You can't just out and out call somebody a fatso or whatever. And he's like, I don't care. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand, man. <laughs> Other people do. So, so yeah. If, and by the way, if you guys want to watch along with us, like we said, it's Super Bowl 98, Jericho versus Hoovy. 
quick story. I, I got that jacket airbrushed at the local mall with a picture of my face on the back. Uh, there's actually an airbrushing uh, guy there. And I think I'm wearing a black armband because I think Louis Spicoli had just passed away. Yeah, because there was the black. Uh, it doesn't last the match because it was taped, but it lasted for a while. Oh, yeah. It just falls off. Yeah. But yeah, this was a, a big deal with the luchadors starting to lose their mask. Yeah, Bischoff didn't want the guys to have masks, so he took Ray and, and then Hoovy's mask. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's title versus mask. And this is where, too, and I don't know whether you were just being your uh, recoculous self as a heel, but the you refusing to take the belt off, it's like I, I just thought was great symbolism with it's mask versus belt. He's wearing his mask. I'm wearing my belt. I ain't taking this damn thing off. And you start the match with the belt because normally I would hate this stuff because I, again, I'm you're far more open to wackiness than I am. Yeah. To say the least. <laughs> well, yeah, just absolutely. Absolutely. But the idea is that you would be watching this and not know you, you wouldn't know me. So you would the symbolism were in the but I think the reason why is I just was like I was so uh, such a jerk. I refused to ever take my title off sort of thing. Yeah, that you're such a mark for yourself. You're going to go to the beach with your belt on. Yes. And this here is the other little thing. And this is where it's so weird because I've never done this for a match so old or from so long ago that, like, again, this is working fine. But today with crowds being quieter and crowds less apt to we boo heels, we cheer faces. And it's something that Fit taught me that if on clean breaks, if on circling in the ring, you stay within, say, eight feet, within striking distance. The crowd has to pay attention. They can't pull out their phones and go to Twitter. That, you know, if you'd have backed up to where, you know, the referee is Mickey J. Yeah, Mickey J. Yeah. Is, you know, where you're that close. It's like there's still the possibility that you could pop them. There's still the possibility that you can verbally interact with each other. But once you get that 15 feet away, Fans today can pull out their phone or, you know, relax and sit back and wait to, oh, well, they'll circle again before they tie up and there's a pause. And that's where, too, you know, we talked about reading the audience. It's like as long as the crowd's engaged, you can be 100 feet away. So interesting. It's so interesting just to bring up no phones either. You know, everybody's actually watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then this here, I'm just going to pause it real quick for you, whip them off the ropes that. You know, he's been getting the better of you. You stop him and we're going to do the, the great spot where he, you know, hits you in the belt. This to me is where that extra attitude as a heel would have been great if you'd have chopped him and did the, you ain't ever taken this off my waist, Hoovy. Mm. Grabbed him by the hair and rubbed his face in your belt with a, this belt ain't ever coming off around my waist. And then you send him off and he does the slide through. And obviously remember it at the last second. Oh, right. I got to kick him lower. <laughs> yeah, he, did. he hit me a little bit high on that one. <laughs> And they got you right in the belt, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll take my belt off now. Oh, yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah. And that's something, too, that I, I, I don't think enough heels today do. You got to show your ass every once in a while. Agreed. That you don't always have to be the cool heel. And it's like the cell where you just drop on your ass, and it's like the spot is supposed to make us laugh at you for a second. It's like it doesn't mean you're a joke. It just means you got your ass handed to you. You got cocky. And it's, it's just, it's fun. You know, Jay was really, uh, Christian was really great at that. Go to run at somebody and then they cock their fists and he like panic and backs up and lands on his ass. He could always, he could always do it more naturally. I, I could never do that spot because it always looked like I was trying to land on my ass. Right. But Jay was really good at doing it naturally. And it's like, 
sometimes the heel just has to, you know, overplay his hand and get beat. There's an art form to it for sure. Yeah. And then Hoovy getting it on you really good here. And then again, yeah, again, I'm nitpicking, but this is the whole point. Well, that's the idea, right? Yeah. And again, I, I mentioned later in the notes, but it's like, I think this is partially Hoovy's lack of North American experience and his tendency to Lucha, which is a different presentation. But it's so important today in that he did the spin kick. He got up, he fired up, and the crowd came up with him. And then he walked over and grabbed a hold and the crowd came down with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is where train your audience, force your audience to think that Hoovy brings him up, Chris brings him down. Hmm. And that's where, had he hit that kick and fired up and shot in for a quick cover, there's that, what? And then when you kick out, we go, oh, hmm. and it's Chris's fault. And then he can grab that hold and he's not the one bringing the people down. And that's where, again, as we mentioned with reading the crowd, it's like when you fire up, how long do you fire up? It's like, well, it depends how fiery the crowd gets. Because if you fire up too long and then the crowd just gets bored because we can't be excited anymore, then our enjoyment comes down looking at you. And it's like, well, that's not good. And when he grabbed the chin lock, it was like, oh, he's not wrestling anymore. Kind of early for the chin lock, too. Yeah. Which was good that you got out of it fairly quickly. So at least now, if they think being on the mat is less exciting, it's your fault. I also wonder, too, how much we've put together for this. You know, nowadays, everything is so put together from beginning to end. And I'm wondering if most of this is just kind of improv here. It probably is. And, and that's where, again, Hoovy being a luchador maybe isn't as improv-ish, if that's in fact a word, which is not. But but here, too, you gave him a knee lift and he bumped. And it's like, to me, North American babyface, it takes more to knock him down. Right. It's like register that it hurts, but stay on your feet. Make that heel work to knock you down. Because again, I don't think you expected him to bump. Him bumping didn't help you because it's like, no, we're getting into some action here, Hoovy. Don't oversell. Yeah. I got to pick him up again. Yeah. And if he, you know, if he stayed on his feet and then you chop him with, oh, you should have, you know, oh, yeah, you think you're tough. You're still on your feet. And then we move to this next spot where he does, in fact, bump you. Then it's you failed to bump him. He succeeded to bump you. Yay, baby face. Gotcha. And it's just the bumping extra. And then the springboard. And then this here, too. You can feel that the crowd wanted to come up for that springboard. It wasn't per picture perfect. He was a little bit right in front of you. So it wasn't super crisp. But it's like if he didn't nip up and fired up. Mm hmm the people would have come up more. Especially in 1998 when they hadn't seen that move 60,000 million times. <laughs> <laughs> and this next one, boy, wow. But but that's where, and again, it may have been. I, obviously, I can't get in Hoovy's head, but sometimes, because I've done it too, where it didn't come off as good as you hoped. Right. So it's like your enthusiasm. It's like, oh man, that didn't go as crisp as I wanted. But it's like, this is where poker face is important. It's like nip up like you hit it 100% the way you wanted to and fool these people into going, that was the best. Well, people don't know the difference too. There's, there's you know, half the arena saw it from behind anyways. Yes, exactly. And, and then, you know, ride the people into this next thing. This is like, oh my God. And this is, again, the trust factor on this because he, he could have died. Oh, wow. <laughs> he did a, a Hurricane Rana springboard onto the apron Probably never been seen before at that point in time. To the floor, yeah. To the floor, yeah. This spot, again, is tremendous, although... So now I'm, 
I'm down on the ground playing possum, but then looking up, letting everybody know that I'm playing possum. Yeah. And this is where, because again, in the notes I mentioned, it's like, I would have liked show more of the cell of what happened with a holy shit, I'm getting my ass kicked. And then have that realization of, oh, hey, I could take an easy way out here. Right. But this is where, again, the benefit of hindsight and speculation is wonderful. I don't know if it would have been obvious enough that everyone would get it then. I don't know. So maybe this was the better way to go. But because you have to and you did it twice, which was good to make sure the camera got it. But they made it clear that you're laying out here because you've just decided I'll take a count out and keep my belt. Screw this guy. Yeah, and once again, there's there's some nuances missing there. Like, like I look up so obviously that you can tell like I'm not hurt at all. I could have probably done a little bit more selling wise, mm-hmm. but you know, I think at this point, I just want to get it in there and make sure the camera sees it, sort of thing. I think too, and it's that balance that you have to strike. And I probably always erred a little too on the the cautionary side of you're getting over your wacky personality, right? Yeah, you've got sort of a heel cruiserweight chris jericho definitely had a comedic element to it so you're getting over the personality too and then when you're laying out there with your eyes closed pretending to be unconscious and movie comes out just drops an lbo i pop so huge well the thing is too i'm trying to get counted out because i can't lose the title on a count out right so yeah that's that's the idea there. it's save your belt but the fact and this is another thing too it's like the fact that the baby face sees it and then the baby face just shoves it right up your butt and drops that elbow <laughs> yeah. on you it was this is the stuff where Again, it's not always the cool stuff that gets the big pops for me. It's the stuff that shows attitude and gives personality. And it's like, this is Hoovy just giving you a big F you. It shows, it shows too, that the baby face is smarter than the heel, which is always very important. Yes. And then the other thing that's important, too, here is when he gets in, it's like he just kicks your ass. Actually, I mentioned it um, somewhere recently, but it's the he did this really unbelievable, amazing Rana to the floor. And then he did the elbow on the floor, but not everybody sees the shit that's on the floor. And then it's like, get back in the ring so everybody can see it and then show that the stuff you did on the floor mattered and was successful. And he gets back in the ring and kicks your ass. So everybody in the building goes, yeah, Hoovy. Good point. If you'd have cut him off as soon as he comes into the ring, which happens a lot now, it's like, oh, it's like that stuff on the floor didn't matter. Yeah, it worked. It worked. And he's kicking your ass. It's a great point. It's a very, uh, I don't, I'm not chicken and egging it, but it's a very Eddie Guerrero style spot. I don't, I'm not saying I got it from him or he got it from me, but this, we kind of had similar characters at that point in time. That was a hell of a boot in the face. <laughs> the face, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so now I've taken over here. We're going back to Hoovy and, and then not. His feet. Yeah. And then. But that's too where. It's little things, too, that I think, and again, it's amazing, not amazing, but again, you were not a 20-year vet at this point, that even though it is the, hey, I'll shine my baby face, hey, I'll cut him off, it wasn't so cut and dried where it feels like my turn, because it's like, you cut him off a couple times and tried to get the advantage, and the baby face fought back, and it's like, you cut him off, and I tried to do the German, and the bastard landed on his feet, and then this felt opportunistic. And that's where, again, you make that baby face look smart in that you tried to cut him off. It didn't work. You tried to cut him off. It didn't work. And then to some extent, you got lucky, fell back and threw it on the rope. It's like, oh, thank God I stopped this bugger. A lot of these moves that we're seeing were very unique, hadn't been done before. And at this point in time, Hooventude was just as good, if not a little better than Rey Mysterio was. I, I stick to that. 
Hoovy was very, very good at this point. I always joke that they're the opposite of, but the same as Big John Stud and Andre the Giant. How do you mean? Well, if Andre wasn't there, Big John Stud would have been the biggest, hugest, oh, yeah. giant guy. <laughs> but it's like he was a little bit smaller than Andre. And Hoovy was that really small but amazing high-flying doing incredible things. Ray was a little smaller than him and then got a little bit more dynamic that he surpassed him. And then Hoovy was like the second most innovation of innovative guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But yeah, the, you know, the German land on your feet, the Rana, like again, springboard from one rope to the other apron for a Rana on the floor. There was like, there was a lot of amazing stuff mm-hmm. that in 1998, you said this was, is like, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty innovative. Yeah. And, and really good stuff. So we're outside here now, beating them up outside, setting up the stairs. And this is a spot that I actually, in hindsight, I don't like in that to me, it felt too big. The stairs. Yeah. And, and this is where too, it's hindsight's 2020 that maybe you didn't expect it to look so amazing, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but it's like, you know, you did the big cutoff, you did the throat on the rope, you did the springboard drop kick one thing you did and you are going to stay in control. And it's like, this is just. You know, you go flying off these stairs at Hoovy and the big wind up to make it better. And then he sidesteps and hot shots oh, you wow. on the steel barricade that just looked so much more devastating than what ended up actually cutting him off. Yeah, right. Good point. After getting two seconds of heat on him, too. Yeah. And that's where a, you know, because again, this is, you know, I would have been just I would have been an ECW here and, you you know, we're just trying to do stuff and get bad and we're not always planning shit. That in hindsight, if we could shuffle the deck, it's like this at the end of your heat leading into the comeback would have been nice poetic justice that, you know, you throated him on the rope. Right. Stayed on him, stayed on him, stayed on him. And then at the end of the heat, you go for the big one and he does the big F you to you and throats you on the steel guardrail. You're both, you know, selling big, get back in the ring. He starts mounting his comeback out of that. That's a good point. I think, like you said, just doing stuff just to do it and trying to get noticed. Yes. Oof. Yeah. The body slam tombstone pile driver. (laughs) But this is where it's interesting because it's just it's the same mentality, but a different generation. It's like we're we're it's you in this match, but I was doing the same damn thing in ECW at this time. It's like we're all doing our gifable moments trying to get noticed. Good point. You know, it's like, oh, man, this will be a cool thing. It's like, yeah, it is. And it's it, it, and it's awesome. And this again, it's an exciting match. It's just now that we're, you know, more than a decade ahead of that, there is more thought in the overall construction and placing of things for tighter, more purposeful stories. I think just because we realizing we can. It's like when we broke in, it's like you weren't allowed to plan something. It's like, that's no, right. no. But and even is that that spot. Uh, on the stairs, the guardrail. I don't think I've ever done that since. And it's a great spot. Just put way too early in the match. But that's one of those ones where I'm like, geez, I could probably set that up and do it now if I wanted to. <laughs> Watch Dynamite every week, folks. You might see it. This <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Pull stuff out of your, your basket from a ways. Out of the past. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something here. I just want to pause here because this, it's my new big, and this is what you're, you're doing it right. But my new big pet peeve is... of the covers I see now are the go grab the leg and then roll with your back towards the guy's stomach, looking at the ceiling. 
the, you know, and he ended up laying on his stomach, holding the leg and nothing's on his shoulders. Mm. And it, it's a crappy looking cover that, you know, 90% of the industry does all the time now. And I think it started because Vince got, you know, a thumb, a, a stick up his butt about hook the leg, hook the leg. And people started going to the legs rather than the shoulders first. And then they roll back. Mm-hmm. And I'm noticing with a lot of this coaching, when the guy kicks out and you're in that position, you land on your ass and your opponent's behind you. Right. And it's a visual. Huh. That it's not a fight with people sitting back to back. And this is such a better camera shot because we see you. You're above him. We see him. He's below you. And you can reach out and grab him. Huh. And there's still a confrontation here. And when four or five times in a match, you see both guys on the mat with their backs to each other. Interesting. I joke. It was a review for a student that I've been doing a lot of these with regularly, and, and I'm fairly good friends with him. So I, I, I allow myself to be a little bit more cheeky with my reviews. But they did that kick out, and they're both sort of on their hip on the mat with their backs to each other. And I'm like, a pitcher tells a thousand words. And a picture of two people laying down with their backs to each other is the story of a bad marriage, not a fight and a confrontation. It's like, have your opponent in front of you. See that there's a, an argument and a fight here. And also, too, it's like when I hit play, it's like you're going to grab him and stand up where when the guy's behind you, they always roll. They, yeah. they pivot away from the guy, stand up and have to walk back. And it's like, great point. That's boring. Where here you can just are you gonna stand up and walk? No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kick him in the head. That's a great point. Such a little thing though, but what a great point. And the thing too, and especially with with green guys, because I'm noticing it, if one of you forgets the spot and you're back to back, it's really hard to talk. <laughs> right. And that's where when I was the guy calling matches, if I kicked out, I would tend to kick out towards my opponent so that my face is like buried almost right in his crotch or his stomach right there in front of me. Because I could talk to him. Ah, but if he kicks out with his back to me, I'm like, I'm gonna have to yell now, dude. It's like, where are you? <laughs> or obviously move around to where you can do it, you know? Yeah. And then that's where you have, especially with an experienced guys, that delay and that lag where they're like, oh shit, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And you see them getting up slow because they're trying to remember the spot. And I'm like, if you were face to face, you could have figured this out. No, you pick him down, Fuyuki cover. Yep. And this is where too, and it's a little thing and it's not as important here as it is elsewhere that I'm a big fan of short shooting people. Mm -hmm. Now you are actually calling the spot to him. So you need a little bit more time, but when you back guys with the rope to send them off, it's like two steps back and two steps forward. It's like, that's an extra four steps you don't need. Right. <laughs> and if you just whip them from the middle and pop them with that elbow, it's, it's sudden. And this is where I always use a tennis analogy. It's like with both guys playing the baseline, that rally is pretty slow. It's don't, don't. But as soon as that guy moves to the net and cuts that distance in half, man, action happens quick. Right, right. And you right. pay attention. And then the other thing here, because this is your your Fiuki, the step on his chest and pose. This is something too that I, I'm, and I use you know your, you as the example quite often with this. It's like heels need a moment where the crowd just looks at them and go, that guy's in control, and you express who you are as a character, whatever the hell you are project it and just be you live in that moment where i'm here kicking his ass and similarly it was something it drove home when when you mentioned this in japan because this is always the shot that got in the magazines right and it's like you need that moment where i can get my phone out and take a photo of you and go man that guy's cool but it also reminded me i did a tag match it was kurt and i against the rock and someone 
and we were getting heat on the rock and we had laid the match out and had a pretty good idea what we were doing. And then rock came over to me and he's like, I need a spot in the heat where I can show pain for you. And at first I'm like, you're going to be selling the whole time. What the hell? And then he mentioned that he was doing the, you know, Kurt picks him up, drops him chest first on the announce desk. He's like, I'm just going to lay at your feet showing or at his feet showing pain. I want to give that moment to you too. Hmm. And that's where it really drove home that again, rocks a hell of a lot bigger star than I ever was. And he's going to lay at my feet in pain and I'm going to stand over him and tell the world that I'm the motherfucker that put him down. Right. And it's those, you know, the music between the notes, if you say, where don't just knock him down, stand over him and project that goddamn right. I put this guy down dominance. Yeah. And, and give that attitude. And there was a great one, actually. And I've actually screen capped. I'm going to use it on my phone now all the time when I do these. When Jay worked with Will Hobbs on Dynamite, he did that great spot on the floor where Hobbs clotheslined him in the back of the head and just dropped him. Yes. And there's that moment where Will stands over top and he turns and looks at the handheld and he pulls the lip up and just snarls. Yeah. And it's like in that moment, he is 100% Will fucking Hobbs. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And it's like, it's a powerful moment. And again, you know, Christian is a, you know, a veteran, respected, you know, Hall of Fame, whatever you want to call him. It's like Will Hobbs in that moment owns that guy. Mm. And it's like those moments can really make a difference. And uh, you stole that one from Fiuki. This is great stuff, man. Great, uh, great tips. And then once again, this is a guy who's been in the business for almost eight years and working at the highest of levels on national TV but you still got great points. So imagine what kind of points you give to people that haven't been in this position. that have only been working for a year or two or whatever it may be. So who is going up for a victory role here? Yep. I get out of it. Boot him in the face. And this was something else that I mentioned in the notes. And I noticed it a lot today. I believe people run hope spots too long. Good point. And, and it, it's the... The hope spot is to bring us up and give us hope. And you don't want us standing out of our chairs cheering because that's not hope. That's a comeback. If the hope spot goes too long, it's like, yeah, and it's like, I can only cheer so long. And then it's like, oh, well, what's he going to do next? And I come down while Hoovy's still trying to do offense. But by him doing the victory roll and it's like the crowd was up really, really high. And they were still popping on the, he almost got him. And you kicked him in the face and literally, you know, shit on the parade. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like that a lot of times when guys um, I've experienced this, especially in AEW, when guys are going to go for the hot tag and they'll do a full on spot before the hot tag. And it's like, well, we're, there's no jeopardy there. You just did a flip, a flop, a fly, a poison rana and a double lumamoo. And it's like, suddenly you're making a tag. There's nothing hot about that. You don't actually need his help anymore. Exactly. You're doing it all on your own. So you're just fine. Yeah. And that's where, you know, for the analogy with the the hope spot, it's like there's way more heat if you pull the plug of the stereo out in the middle of the song, not at the end of the song. Right. <laughs> and it's like, don't let us get to the end of the song before you shut him down. Shut him down where we're still mad about it. Yeah, it's um, this is something, too, that. You, you, you pick them up by the hair and the mask all the time. And it's like, there's so many baby faces now that don't have hair. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, I tell her, it's like, I hate bald baby faces. Now, granted, the greatest baby face of all time didn't have any hair, but it's just, it's such a great visual to grab, grab a handful of hair and yank them up. It's very dickish. Yeah. There's, there's attitude. And I, I remember, was it Mike Awesome? 
yeah, I think it was Mike Austin that used to drag Battle Ranger around by the the mass like it was a you know the scruff of a neck of a cat. You know what I mean? Like just dragging the dude around, and it's like that's such a dick move. Once again, we're here. Probably it's a fifteen minute match or so, kind of in the middle of the card. I think people are kind of into it because we told a good story, but it's not like it's not the main event match for sure. No. And that's where too, if you know, WCW in 98 was definitely training the audience that uh, there were these matches and there were important matches. Yeah. And, <laughs> no, that, but that was the message that the company was sending. Of course, that's probably too. Why again, you were doing bigger things earlier and bigger things here is because you did have to work harder to convince people that, the cruiserweight matches and stuff mattered because it wasn't always the presentation of the company. And then this is an important thing too. And, and again, I have no idea what's going through your head, but again, he, you put, you hit a game with a backbreaker. You've got him in this submission hold thing. And it's like, you got to grab a hold at some point to allow the crowd to breathe, start looking come on, who have you give us some action here and start fighting up. And it's like, they don't really come. And, and you do a great job of throwing a temper tantrum thinking you won to bring the crowd up because they're they're not actually rallying for Hoovy in this moment. Mm. And it's like, but by you celebrating that I won, it's actually starting to bring the crowd up at least that, you know, they're not into this moment. I will throw a bit of a temper tantrum. I'll make them react to something. And then Hoovy, thankfully, you know, had the instincts where it's like, all right, the people are starting to come up. I don't have anything. And he uh, fights back. And it's like, that's something too, that who knows what you had planned. I don't even give a shit what you had planned, but this is something I tell people too, as a baby face. It's like, if you feel like you should fight back, yeah, you can fight back. Yep. It's like, if it's wrong, you can always just thumb them in the eye and kick them and stop them. But if the crowd's like, come on, man, do something, come on, man, do something, and the baby face doesn't, it's like you're dead. Well, that, and that's how guys would get eaten up back in the day. If, if you don't take something, like as a heel, I'm glad to give it to you. But if you don't take it, you might never get it. You know what I mean? And that's something that I think great baby face. If you look at, let's say, like Undertaker or Rock or Austin or any of the top, top guys, Hogan, when it was time to fight back, they would do that to keep themselves alive. Yeah. And Hoovy firing back with chops too that he had good attitude behind is really good because he he'd lay him in he did he would lay him in and once again i think bischoff's reason for taking the mask off is he thought that people couldn't see his facials and his registering and in this case he's kind of right because you can't see anything when hoovy's firing up or selling or whatever it's just this mask mm-hmm. actually hoovy's a very pretty man so it worked out okay for him well, yeah, although I was calling him quasi-juice at this point in time, saying he looked like the hunchback of Notre Dame. So, Hoovy's <laughs> <laughs> fighting back. And that's the thing, too. It's like he tried to fight back. You stopped him. He's trying to fight back. It's that determined baby face that's going to get there one way or the other. And then you shut him down hard yet again. And once again, I mean, I don't see that sort of move happen ever now. And this was 23 odd years ago. So it's some pretty innovative stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Drop kick in the ass from the top rope and out you go. That's a Negro Cassock classic. I haven't taken that one in years. Yeah. And then you climb up the stair and go, oh, shit, there's stairs there. Hope I <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before where you pick the corner and go, oh, shit, there's stairs here. This is insane. Nice catch, though. Jeez, yeah. 
That's something you don't see every day anymore either. Catches. <laughs> Good point. Isn't it amazing how many people miss, uh, miss on dives and catches? I can't believe it. I don't think I've seen a proper catch in a, in a long, long time. They're, they're, they're the exception, not the rule anymore. Yeah. I think part of it is, too, that people have stopped worrying about the catch and it's like they land on their feet and it's like they just as long as I'm near you or whatever but Hoovy had ridiculous height on this and you and that's the thing we're back at the fence in the middle of the aisleway yeah you're already in the aisle not at ringside and he goes way up and you catch and he you again that's the good sign of a catch is when he when you're between him and the concrete on the landing yeah but to Hoovy's credit, he was also in a position where you could catch him. He wasn't rotating and pulling in his knees. That was actually a fair, fairly easy dive. If you guys haven't seen, he basically just jumped off where I could catch him like you're going to cradle a baby or something like that. He, he didn't do a flip or a front dive. It was just basically just jumping at you with his leg out. Mm-hmm. And I also, and this is where I, I always laugh because many of the catches, I always call them the Red Sea catch. When you go to dive on two people and they part like the Red Sea and you land between them, it's like, I always prefer diving on one person to two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because when it's one dude, it's like he knows his responsibility. When it's two, they're oh, the other guy will do it, and it's like you get a you get a wrist each. It's, it's like, like it's like the bad news bears where everyone's going for the pop fly and no one catches it. You got to call it. I got it. I got it. Yep. And then again, I would have preferred. I think if Hoovy fired up here, this place would have been going crazy. And that's. I know I have a different opinion of some, but to me. The dive is so exciting. The crowd wants to be jumping up and down. If the baby face is selling too much, especially when you nailed it, there's nothing to sell there. He nailed it. Yeah. And that's where too, you know, Daniel Bryan does it great, but that, you know, that shaking excited, you know, I'm getting pissed off. I'm getting fired up shaking sell the people would have come up with them. And then this is, I strongly disagree with you going through the ropes here, trying to escape. It just paused the momentum in my opinion. Yeah that getting to the the hoovy driver here <laughs> we're just pile was that, was, like, was that a hoovy driver or a pile driver yeah, a bit of both they call it the hoovy driver but pile driving each other in our heads yep and then a 450 he's so cl- i'm so close jeez yeah, he's right there it's a nice little sequence oh, i grabbed the ropes okay yep but this is again if you, if you aren't able to watch this, like people are legitimately jumping up and down with their arms in the air. It's like they bought this sucker. And, and that's where it too. And I, it was, I think it was a great call that Mickey J did hit the mat three times, but your hand was legitimately right in front of him. And it ended up being that super close call. And many of the people in the building wouldn't see it at first. So they got that huge pop for Hoovy. And the ref is immediately, nope, nope, nope. He had the, this is where I would have, be nice if you hung on the rope a little oh they thought he won i got you yeah yeah if you would have hung on a little longer so they could check and go oh fuck okay that's what happened but it's like this is a great everyone bought it they thought that was a finish you gave him that nice visual moment of he did it and then the screw job from behind you chop block him and it's like this where again i'll pause before we get to anything else it's like and I've mentioned this to you personally before that, again, I think, and again, not just on the show, I've mentioned it to him before, but it's like, you're one of the best at creating a moment where everyone now has to sit forward in their seats and they know it's on now, something has changed. And even in 98, 
he gave him, you know, the big drop kick to the floor, the dive, the in, the hoovy driver, the 450, the visual almost one, two, three. And it's like people are going nuts for hoovy. Even the smartest fan in the building now knows it's like, okay, we're getting close to the finish now. It's like it's on where if he had just done a couple of standard near falls, I don't think anyone would be super into them. But it's like once that happens and there's the restart, you chop block them. It's like everything that happens from this moment on could be the finish. I always treat my false finishes as false finishes. Like you said early on in our career, a false finish isn't a drop kick. You know what I mean? A false finish is 451-2 barely kick out sort of thing. It could be the actual finish. If it was going to be if Hoovy was going to win the title, it would be with that move. Yep. And if you and if you know if I was going to win, it would be with this. If you can incorporate that into your finishes. I just did it with when uh, Max and I did, uh, worked with the Young Bucks, there was a sequence near the end where if the Bucks were going to win, it would be with this. If we were going to win, it would be with that. And people buy that. And that's like you said, that's how they start getting into it more because you're seeing legitimate false finishes, not just a move with a 2.9 kick out. Yeah, that was the, we used to even joke about it when we were green and dumb where Bob Brown would say three false finishes. And it's like, no, those are just covers, dude. It's <laughs> exactly. Like, it's not a false finish. It's just a pin attempt. <laughs> Giving a guy a dropkick and covering him. It's like yeah. even the eight-year-old's not buying this one. <laughs> but again, you you know, you went for a move and you got in another roll-up, which people bought. And this is where, too, you're really making your baby face because it's like we keep expecting that Jericho's going to screw him. And he keeps coming back. And it's like it's just making Hoovy feel like the better man. And it's like, oh, he's going to do this for sure. He's going to do this for sure. And each time he does them, it's like we're getting hotter. Mm-hmm. More desperate. Yeah. But I think, too, that he immediately comes back to you and sets up for the next move. And this is where, too, it's that urgency. It's like, I got to go for something big. I got to go for something big. It's not the, okay, I'll get up and I'll hit him with a four. I'm going to whip him off the ropes and make it feel like more spots. It's making it feel like two guys going for the finish here. Right. And now you're, you're going for the top rope Rana. It's like stuff in between them, and then you shoot him off. He does a flip, catches you yet again. And this is another one where, again, just Jeez. more innovation. You're sitting on the in the middle of the rope. In the middle of the rope, he goes to the far apron and springboards into the top rana. Yeah, the, the normal rana didn't work, so he went for a more innovative one and nailed it. Yeah, and I think two. I'm just going to pause it here for a sec. And I think, too, this is where it works out great, too. It's like the top rope Rana was starting to become something that you see every once in a while. Right. You know, it was more common. It's like he's going for a really cool thing. You took it away from us. And then our babyface delivered an even better one. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like this isn't just a top rope Rana. It's a springboard from one rope to the other one to do it. It's like this guy's incredible. <laughs> the old double bridge. Jeez, I don't think I've ever done that before. A front reverse suplex. Yep. And this is where, again, I think I would prefer not having the pause. You're going for the lion salt. He moves. And this is where I'm just screaming, maestro, maestro, maestro. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, right? I just think it would have been a tighter near fall because then you go for the, the walls with another roll up that they buy. And just in hindsight, it's like, man, miss that lion salt. Ma's draw one, two, that great kick out. As you come up, scoop his legs into the lion salt. I think it just would have kept it a little tighter. Yeah, scoop his legs into the other roll up. Yeah, yep. you're right. And then we get the the shoot. 
boost catch from the, that rana into the walls or is that this always lion, works lion yeah, tamer at lion this tamer, point yeah and then sit down on them like you can only do with really flexible people i know that's why i just switched that people always go why don't you do the, the lion tamer anymore because you can't do that with the big show yeah <laughs> kane doesn't bend like Hoovy does and then he taps to the submission and this is where too i i, I think the key for those and again this is good is you gave and 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 then you took right it's like it wasn't about we're both going to get 10 near falls here and then i'm going to win where you feel even it's like we're going to give to Hoovy, give to Hoovy, give to Hoovy, give to Hoovy, and we're all getting excited it's like he's so close he's so close he's so close and then you pull the rug out it's interesting too when you think about that he submitted as a baby face to lose his mask and that's just because that was my finish. You submit. And now guys still have a little bit of an issue with submitting, especially as baby faces. And, and it's one thing that when I did the Tokyo Dome last year, a.k.a. a thousand years ago, June, <laughs> June uh, January 4th, 2020, uh, working with Tanahashi, he insisted that I beat him with the walls of Jericho. He insisted on it. And he, he's, he's so great. And it was such a great move as a baby face because he legit lost. He tapped out. He made it real by doing that. Not just another pinfall on the show. There's 15 pinfalls in that show, but everybody remember that Tanahashi tapped out and it just it made him bigger. It made me bigger. It was just a smart move from a true veteran and Hoovy did the same there. Well, I, I think it's, it's key to, and again, it's the veteran and it's knowing that the people are emotionally with you. Right. There's no disgrace in a loss and especially in the Japanese mentality if you put up that good fight. Right. And I remember I was surprised because this would have been in the when I first started with war and tapping out wasn't as big of a thing. And I had a singles match with Moke Jizuki. And he didn't want to take a pinfall loss. He would rather lose to submission. Hmm. And he thought that it, there was less disgrace in getting caught by good technique mm -hmm. than being so dominated that you laid there for three seconds. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. It's like I'll anyway. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's the only match I ever won by heel hook. <laughs> it, was, it was just that I've never used this before in a, in a match ever before, but I'm going to beat this dude with a heel hook. But it, it's that putting up the good fight and the fact that you gave and gave and gave into here that we were also invested in Hoovy. Him losing just disappointed us in the result. It didn't disappoint us in him. Hmm. You know, where I think if it was constructed a different way and he didn't show that fire and that determination and the ability to do all that he did, it's like we realized that he gave us his all and it's unfortunate that he lost. And again, to the, it's, it was a clean finish and I don't think it hurt him. Yeah, think about that. There, there's no run-in. Uh, Eddie didn't come down to distract him. It was just a match back and forth. He gets a bunch of cool... Almost, and then I catch him, and he taps out. That's the end. Yep. And then he takes his mask off. And then the key thing here, too, is you're selling your ass off at the end. Right. And that's something that drives me nuts when the heel just pops to his feet and looks fresh as a daisy and kicks dirt on his baby face. And it's like, dude. And conversely, when the baby face does it, too. I mean, if, if yeah. you've been in this real fight for 15 minutes and we're sweating and, and, and heavy breathing... You don't, you, I mean, if you're a baby face, you show your fire, but you still have that element of, of, of cell and same, same as the heel. 
yeah, I'm trying to think of who it was. It was someone that made the comment and it, and it was about real life. The, you know, the, the things you work hardest for or the things you're most proud of or something along those lines. And it's like, to me, it's, that's the mentality I have in a match. It's like, if you can convince everybody that it took every ounce of your being in this fight to succeed, that feels like an accomplishment that you want. Yeah. If you just pop up and go, that was easy. It's like, well, if it was easy, it's like, well, you know, it, it's the basic element of wrestling is telling those stories and the story doesn't end until you come through the curtain. You know, that, that story continues the whole, the whole way after the match. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just as important. The thing you work hardest for seems the most valuable. Yeah, exactly. And then remembering too, that again, if you bury your baby face, it's like, he's on the next show. It's like help a brother out. You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? That's right. That's right. That's right. I also, and again, he's not the best example because people have issues, but it, it's the best story. It's like the thing that put Benoit over the top in the eyes to WWE was he was doing those series of matches with Kurt Angle on the house shows. Kurt was the heel and he was beating Benoit clean by submission. Right. On house shows. And Chris would get a standing ovation at the end when he got to his feet. And somebody pointed out that if he's getting a standing ovation, losing clean, imagine if he actually won. Exactly. And it's like, but obviously anyone that's ever seen a Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle match, it's like they were so good and so hard fought that you just had to respect both for the effort that people just wanted to thank the guy afterwards and stood on their feet with, that was incredible. If you can do that for the guy that's losing, then it's like, that's the home run. Yeah, exactly, man. Um, what a great, uh, great session here. And like I said, this is from, from me 30 years on the job, but I still learned a couple of things that I can use in matches now. So what, what a beneficial, you know, experience for anybody in the business. Well, I think that's something I learned myself when I opened the school is that everyone in the business is so busy being in the business that you forget little things or little things fall by the wayside. And you, you know, you're, you're always focusing on different things. And when you actually take that chance to step back and just look at it as a coach, it's like, I don't have to worry about all my shit anymore. And I can just look. And it's like, I think everyone benefits by the occasional reminder of things we know anyway. Like if you're a 30 year or 20 year guy. Yeah, I did know that, but I forgot about it and don't always put that in. And then obviously if you've never learned it yet, then you get it even more so. But me as a worker, I got so much smarter after coaching after working than I did just when I was working all the time. Because you're so busy on that next match, you don't always have a chance to sit back and go, yeah, I could have done that a little better. Last few things, Lance. Do you find the more you coach and is your legacy now becoming more important to you for what you're doing now? Or is it still in the ring that's more important for you, a combination of the two? Because you're, you're critically acclaimed as one of the best coaches in the world at this point. Yeah, I, I think I'm probably going to be remembered more for for the coaching and the training that I was for my career. To be honest, I don't think I have a preference one way or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, my goal, and I had always said that throughout my career, that more than anything, I wanted the respect of my peers while I was working. Yeah. And when I was active on the roster, I 100% feel I had that. It's like, no matter who I was working with, it's like when we're putting matches together, it's like, more often than not, I was the one doing it. Everyone respected my opinion. 
and my work. So it's like I felt accomplished in that regard. And then now as a coach, I think I've probably had a far bigger impact on the business than just through my matches because I touch so many more people. So I'm happy with either. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I, I've always enjoyed seeing the other success. It's like booking. It's like, you know, if you come up with an idea and someone else executes it and it works, it's like it's still rewarding. And if you can, you know, make the business a little bit better, either by doing it yourself or helping others, it's like that's rewarding, too. What do you have planned once the uh, pandemic is, is done and you can get out of Canada? Do you have any thoughts about f- coaching or what else you can do? I've got a lot of thoughts, but I honestly don't know. And, and to be perfectly honest, I think if this continues to do, do well and maybe even grows, I'm actually considering trying to come up with a Patreon idea for SWA Virtual that if this does well enough, it's possible I will just stay home. Mm-hmm. That it's... 14 months of me being the house husband for lack of a different term, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. raising my dogs who, you know, are your kids are out of the house now. Well, well, one's still in the house, but yeah, for the most part, they're self-sufficient now, but I've got dogs and a cat that my wife enjoys me having to deal with <laughs> that. It may be time for me to stay home, but I, I think if the scheduling could be right and the scheduling could be light enough that, I would like to still do some in-person stuff, whether it be, you know, a a bit of agenting or a bit of coaching, but uh, I'm certainly not looking for a, you know, several days a week, every week Mm -hmm. um, schedule like I had. I think the, uh, my wife was just starting to get used to the man. He's gone a lot again (laughs) (laughs) with, with the run with WWE. And then now the, 24 seven for uh, 15 months or whatever it's been, it might be a tough sell for her again. (laughs) So there's a lot of options, but I I really don't know it with me. It always comes down to schedule because you know, my, my family time and my dogs are my preference at the moment. Well, dude, like I said, this is a great, uh, it was a great time to do this and a a great um, experience service that anybody should do. I mentioned that when I tweeted about it a couple months ago, if you are in this business, I don't care what level you're at, Lance can uh, point some stuff out that you might not have thought about and help you out for sure. So awesome, man. Awesome seeing you as always. Yes. So SWA virtual training at gmail.com field, all questions or uh, inquiries there. And a session like this is 125 us, or if you book multiple sessions, three for 300. And again, it's, it's, it's ends up being usually about three hours of my time to review it, get the notes together and then do the zoom and stuff as you can attest by. And again, if you want to tweet out a photo of all the notes and stuff, you're, you're not just getting a tighten your holds up kid. No, man. Yeah. Very, very, uh, beneficial. Every little thing, which doesn't surprise me because you've always been uh, very much a detail guy. Yes. To say the least. <laughs> Last uh, question. I've asked this before, but I'll ask you again. What's, uh, what's your favorite match that you have that you had? that still stands out to you when, um, when you think about your best matches? I think the two that, that stand out the most that I'm most proud of, um, I guess the, the most the one that I think is best is not the best, but the one I really like is Daniel Bryan from Ring of Honor. Mm. That it was, fr- you know, a year out of WWE, I think. And so I was still young and on the top of my game and had the freedom and all the knowledge I had at that point. And, and you know, Bryan Danielson's incredible. 
We did like 30 minutes in Ring of Honor. And then the other just for pure joy was the Amarillo, Texas live event, me versus Terry Funk for the U.S. title that I just love and respect Terry Funk like no other. And that was one of those situations where in that building on that day, those Texans believed. (laughs) Right. That's something, again, you've been there, but it's like unless you've truly worked a legitimate super, super, super over baby face. You don't know what, how great it can mm-hmm. be and how easy it can be and how easy it can be. Cause if I watched it back, it's, you know, you will pull up the star rating. It's probably like two and a half or three. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But with the emotion in that night, it was 10. When you have that special, you know, again, you worked with rock and Austin in their heyday and shit. So you worked with some over baby faces and it's like, it just makes everything magic. Would you ever do another match again in the right situation? Yeah. I, I still I still want to have that last one with you before we both are completely done. But you and your damn fountain of youth, I don't know if I'll be able to hang around long enough. Get the Pinocchio moose already, baby. Full circle. <laughs> we'll sell that baby. We'll out. sell that f-er out. <laughs> All right, dude. Great talking to you, man. Thank you so much. All right, man. Take it easy. <laughs> you too, buddy. Bye. Bye. 